0: You're listening to the Laura the Library Lady podcast presented by the Maslin Public Library. It's Laura, the library lady coming to you from the Maslin Public Library basement studio here in the Duncan House with our local author, Joe Clifford Faust. Welcome, Joe. Hello. As a local author from the area, can you talk about your background and where you're from?
1: My background. Okay. I hope you're sitting down. Um, (laughs) I am. uh, Currently, I live in Hartville. And before that, I lived in Wyoming. And before that, I lived in Oklahoma. And then I was back in Wyoming. And then, if you keep going back far enough, uh, I lived in Canada for about five and a half years. And uh, I started school up there. So, I Kindergarten have a little
0: or college.
1: Uh, First grade. Really? First grade, yeah. I thought
0: you were talking about college. So no,
1: no. Uh, literally. Yeah, f- literally, first grade. So I, I still have some Canadian accent on certain <laughs> words. And like the word gray does not look right if it's spelled with an A. It just. Wow. You, I, I you grew like up with all those spellings, you know, e the, the spelling. British spellings and stuff. And then uh, before that, uh, I was born in North Dakota. Oh, uh, okay. My, my dad was in the oil industry. Um, he. Uh, uh, in World War II, they taught him to blow things up.
0: Nice. Yeah, he I was guess. an ordnance
1: instructor, and that was a very useful uh, skill to have mm-hmm. in the oil industry. So he he uh, was moved around a lot wherever there's lots of oil production and stuff. And uh, he and my mom had the classic meet. Uh, they met on a train during World War II. Really? Yeah. You yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of those classic black and white movie meets. Um, he had he went over and said I need some help with this crossword puzzle and sat next to her and she said okay and he had his name written in giant block letters above the puzzle and (laughs) they started writing and you know the rest is history so.
0: And here you are to tell the tale. And here I am. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Now you are a prolific writer. How long have you been writing and how did you get your start?
1: Oh okay well technically um, I've been interested in writing ever since I could hold a crayon Um, (laughs) my mom actually saved this and I have it in my files the very first comic book I drew and I must have been four or five and it's just like airplanes shooting at each other (laughs) and I was good at dialogue even then because one guy says I'll kill you and Ah. then the other guy says I'll kill you too So even then, you know, budding, uh, yeah, budding dialogue, (laughs) and then um, I was always just really for some reason uh, just really interested in writing. Um, When I was in third grade, our teacher announced that uh, we were going to be writing a short story for our English project, and all the kids are like, "Eh, you know, I was like, oh, all right, I'm gonna (laughs) write. And so she had a list of topics, you know, my trip to the moon, my jungle adventure, and stuff like that. And I went to work on that, and then unbeknownst to me, we had to get up and read these things. <laughs> and so I think I think the requisite was you had to have at least a page. And these poor kids were getting up there and just struggling, you know, to make their page sound presentable. Oh. I got up there with ten pages written, oh my on, goodness. written on both sides. Wow. And um, <laughs> nobody was listening. By the time I finished, it was you know, it was a disaster. But uh, oh no! Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say they were wrapped.
1: Well, they were just
0: staring at you with fascination.
1: Nah. <laughs> so your first short story was a bust. It was a bust. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, in high school, I took a creative writing class, and I was with uh, I think it was. Eight girls and a, another guy and this is by this time I was in Wyoming so it was it the guy was like a, a ranch boy you know so, oh, okay so um, the teacher says okay we're gonna you know we made our way through poetry and blah 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 and all that stuff and I just kind of went along with it and of course at the end of the year it was short story time and I was like <laughs> yes yes okay I can't wait and uh, so she passes out the you know here's the requirements and it was really interesting because it was like uh, no unwed mother stories. Oh. And I'm like, well, I don't need to worry about that.
0: Okay, you weren't interested in that I'm Not interested
1: in doing an unwed mother story, but um, uh, in junior high and high school, I was bullied a bit, and I discovered that I could write short stories where my bullies met horrible ends, and nobody would know the difference because they changed their names. Uh You know, the guy might have red hair, but that was just, you know, a coincidence or something. So I was really good by that time of writing action scenes. So I wrote this this rock'em sock'em chase scene <laughs> through the fields of Wyoming, and uh, turned it in, and I forget what I, I got on it, and you know let let the class go. The next year, my best friend took the class, and he was showing me the syllabus, and I was like, yeah, I want to you know see if she she changed anything, and I had talked to the the teacher after they. After the class was over, I said, what what did everyone turn in for stories? Because we didn't have to read them. And the ranch boy had turned in a semi-autobiographical story because that's what you do, I guess, if you're starting out.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's what you know.
1: All of the girls had turned in unwed mother stories. No. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there I am the next year looking at the syllabus, and it says, no unwed mother or blood and gut stories. Ah. So I'm like, I changed the syllabus. That you was, had a great influence yeah, on that Yeah, so teacher. That, was, that was the beginning of the, the influence. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, like, instead of studying algebra in study hall, I wrote a play. And um, then, uh, when I was in college, I went and saw this movie that everyone was making a big deal about that I was mad at. Because, for me, the best movie that came out was uh, William Friedkin's Sorcerer, which uh, he just – recently passed away but that was a great film and nobody went to it because they're all going to this outer space movie with big special effects called star wars oh that yeah that little thing (laughs) and uh and i went to that and i just didn't like it at all and but i walked out of the theater going they always have these big spaceships how do they pay for them and (laughs) and that became the seeds of my first novel which was called Desperate Measures, but it ended up not being the first one I published. I ended up pulling it and writing another one, and that's the one that ended up selling. So so it's just been a long, torturous road of <laughs> <laughs> side trips and distractions. and.
0: So tell us the title of the one that was first published then.
1: The one first published is called The Death of Honor.
0: And that's one of your most popular ones yeah that's probably to this day, right
1: yeah that's probably the one I'm, I'm most known for because um, I, I I didn't really start out writing short stories and to break into science fiction a lot of times you send uh, short stories to the pulps uh-huh. and I hadn't done that and I had just written this novel and uh, I had been sending it out and my wife I was like, "Why don't you send it to Del Rey? They're, you know, they, they'll like it." And I'm like, "Oh, come on! They publish Heinlein, you know? They, they're not going to want to hear from me. I'm from Wyoming, you know." And, <laughs> and so finally, she kept after me, and I did. And they're the ones that ended up uh, publishing it. So, so I was really happy about that. And then uh, I went. Eventually, I went back to Desperate Measures a couple of novels later, and uh, it was a huge mess of a book because it was my first book, and I ended up cutting it by about half. Okay, and and that ended that's up. That's probably
0: a common problem yeah, that authors have. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's the old uh, kill your darlings, mm. and I ended up cutting out my favorite scene from the first draft. So. Oh, oh <laughs> that's terrible. That's heart wrenching. Yeah. But uh, you're, a good authors never supposed to throw anything away. And if I, if I ever need a scene where a guy gets gets beaten up by a woman, I'm going to my files. Ah, you already have it. I already have it. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. <laughs> So, have you ever modeled a character after yourself or someone you know?
1: Um, you know, I think every author uh, does that to some extent. I don't really model after myself as much as different characters in different books get little pieces of me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and it depends on the situation. Um, in Desperate Measures, uh, there was this one immature guy, and so he got my immaturity. <laughs> okay. Um in uh in Furman's devils uh the guy was an advertising agent and uh uh he got uh, my my wife called that character a moral wimp a
0: moral wimp
1: a moral wimp and that's the part of me that, <laughs> that
0: I, that's uh, a good description yeah I'd...
1: yeah she should have been the writer actually <laughs> 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 um so that's what he got from me and then uh, there there's some other Little bits and pieces in in uh, Furman's Devils that were like things that I wish had happened to me, or things that uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a class. The classic guy, uh, the French call it uh, le, le spirit de which is the spirit of the staircase. Which is that situation where someone says something to you, and you don't think of the perfect thing to say in retort until you're oh. going down the stairs on your way home, and yes. that's me. I, I'm I'm more prose-oriented than Uh than verbal in the minute kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I I put some things like that in there. But they're little bits and pieces all through. Um, Interestingly enough, um, I am literally on the cover of one of my books. Ooh. Um, when uh, uh, when A Death of Honor came out, uh, it was, the book was given to an artist named David Mattingly. And David had started out working for Walt Disney. Uh, he wasn't an animator, but he did matte backgrounds. You know, okay. back in the day when you'd have these huge desert vistas. Uh, they'd probably shoot that in a studio with the equivalent back then of a green screen. And then they'd have people paint paint landscapes. And he was doing that. And uh, at a young age, he became head of the mat department. And he decided he wanted to leave and do science fiction covers. But he worked on... uh, uh, oh, the cat from outer space and parts of the black hole and every now and then he gets called back to Hollywood to do matte painting really yeah yeah he the last one I know of that he did was uh, Hail Caesar which is a Coen Brothers movie okay. which is about that classic age so obviously they would want real matte paintings so they gave the book to him and uh, he had just gone through a nasty divorce And part of A Death of Honor is a guy kind of getting back together with a woman he was really serious about. And that's part of what drives the plot. Mm -hmm. And he just really connected with the character and everything. So when he did the cover, he painted himself as the main character on the cover, which was really flattering. And he he also wrote me my first fan letter before the book was even published. So
0: wait. So he painted you in on the cover?
1: No, he painted himself. He painted himself. Yeah. He painted himself on A Death of Honor. And then my next book was called The Company Man. Oh, a- I and see. And he really painted himself onto that one. <laughs> if you had that book and he was in a police lineup, you'd go, yeah, that's, that's the that's same him. guy? <laughs> so after The Company Man came out, I was in New York, and I was having lunch with Shelley, my editor, and David. And Shelley said, you know, David, we really like the covers you're doing for Joe's books, but you can't put yourself on the cover all the time because people are going to think his books are all about the same people. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay. So he gets desperate measure, and he calls me up. And he says, you want to pull a joke on Shelley? And I said, name it. You know what do you want me to do? And he sent me uh, his thumbnail. Uh, they, they make several thumbnails of different possible covers, and then the art uh-huh. director will pick, say, go with this one, and then okay. he'll make the official painting. And he said, this guy is going to be you, so I need you to take your picture in this pose.
0: And send it to and me. And send
1: it to him. <laughs> and there I am, uh, passed out at a table.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: And that's definitely me. <laughs> without that's the, so without, funny. Without the glasses, of course. Um,
0: so everybody will have to go out and get a copy of Desperate Measures. Before yeah, yeah. You'll have to Angel's find the,
1: the old, rare Delray paperback of that. But uh,
0: and you can see Joe's face. You can see uh, my face passed I, out on the table. And
1: I actually scanned that, and I use that as an icon for. Uh, for things online, like uh, my writer's Facebook page, that's my... Oh, that's uh, really cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with a glass in your hand.
1: With, with a glass in my An hand. An empty glass. That, that is not my usual uh, position in life. I, I don't smoke cigarettes. That's yeah, and, yes. And I'm, I'm You're not, not, a,
0: passed, out I'm a, not a passed out at a poker table? Is
1: uh, yes. that a poker table? Uh, it's kind of a weird hologram. Table. oh it's a actually that scene table. doesn't appear in that book
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's an example of something that could have happened oh
1: yeah well it's very I, creative yeah and what happened is uh this became a trilogy and i ended up putting that scene in the third book just oh, as a nod to david so, clever yeah. oh
0: i like that i'm mm-hmm. sure he appreciated that as well oh
1: yeah yeah and then uh, when the other two books in the trilogy came out, he snuck himself onto the cover again Ugh. of the next two books. But he made himself real small, so you couldn't really tell. So so he got got past the... He, he got past Shelley, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of those weird things that well, happens in the business. If yeah, you can't have fun, what's the point? <laughs>
0: I like that. Well, uh, I know you have uh, prepared a short excerpt for us, so would you like to oh. read at this point?
1: Yes. Um, I, um, I started off writing science fiction and uh, moved into writing crime for um, a number of reasons. First of all, um, I felt that science fiction had kind of been co-opted by fantasy and tie-in novels like Star Wars novels and and uh, yeah, Star ones Trek that and. tie into movies. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. I'd, I'd actually at one point had an offer to do a Star Wars novel. Uh, my agent called me and said, "Yeah, you wanted to do a Star Wars novel, because, but you hated Star Wars." Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, my question to him was, "Well, do I have to be have my name on the cover?" And he said, "Well, that's kind of the point." And, and I said, "No, thank you." And uh, that was when. Uh, Star Wars, the franchise books had started off with Del Rey, and then they moved to Bantam, and then moved back to Del Rey with my editor Shelley. And he thought, "Well, Shelley knows you, and you know you could write sure. a book." And, and I said, "No, I'm I'm really not interested." And so Del Rey started releasing them, and the first one was written by a guy named Del Rey Salvador, and that was a real controversial book because in that book they killed off Chewbacca.
0: That's shocking.
1: Yes. And that became my regret. I was like, man, I could have been the one that kill off Chewbacca. <laughs>
0: you but could have, you know, done something, other ruinous things yeah, to the story. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and that would have been so appropriate for me to be able to, to write that book. But, of course, <laughs> you talk to a true fan, and that's obviously not canon because, you but know, that didn't Chewie would live to see Han get killed off, basically. So.
0: And we've, we've alienated all the Star Wars yeah. lovers out there. They've already turned us off. So Pretty
1: much, yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I, I can hear the clicks now.
0: <laughs> so what are you going to read us?
1: Okay, this book is called The Smart One. And uh, this is a book where I decided to wear all my influences on my sleeve. Um, so uh, if, if you really wanted to do a literary study, um, and this is not a literary book at all, it's just about wiseacre criminals trying to do <laughs> stuff. But um, uh, there's there's influences of James Thurber in this book. Uh, when, when I was 12, uh, I discovered at the public library all the James Thurber books and just fell in love with his work. Wonderful. Uh, there's some Donald Bartholm in here. He writes uh, a series of books called uh, the Dortmunder novels, and it's about an inept criminal. And basically <laughs> they go out to do something simple and Things just keep making it worse and worse and worse. And I I love that method of plotting. Um, There is some P.G. Woodhouse in here. Um, I love his Jeeves novels because it's this little pocket universe where the worst thing that can happen to you is you get engaged to the wrong girl and Jeeves will fix it. And it just kind of exists out of time, you know, and there are these comedies of manners. And I was so jealous of that. Anytime I read one of his books, I'm just so jealous of that little pocket universe he created. And I'm like, I want to do that, but we. this is a time that has no manners left. So I decided, okay, my pocket universe is going to be this little – it, it takes place in Wapakoneta, Ohio, simply because I love the name Wapakoneta.
0: It, it is a great name,
1: and it's an alternate universe Wapakoneta. It's not science fiction, <laughs> but it's it's a Wapakoneta that would have happened if Neil Armstrong had been so modest and unassuming about being the first man to walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. So everything is named after the moon landing, and they really capitalized on it. So it's <laughs> it's, it's more
0: commercialized. It, it's than a more it.
1: commercialized version of okay. of Wapakoneta. And then uh, there's some Elmore Leonard in here because nobody writes dialogue and just grab you by the throat plotting than, than Leonard does. So all of those guys are just mixed up in this stew. And then there's my twisted sense of humor in here, which I love may it. or may not show up in this excerpt.
0: <laughs> we'll see.
1: Okay. And this, this is the first chapter of The Smart One. The scam this time was paper money. Brad had worked it all out. The government, he said, made a mistake, wanting to do with the $20 bill what they'd been doing with quarters. It's not the government, Dink said, it's the Mint. The Mint is the government, said Brad. The Mint isn't the government, said Dink. It doesn't make laws or pave highways or send kids off to war, it just prints money. The guy on the radio said the government prints money to get out of financial trouble, said Zack. You're not helping, Dink said. You want to hear my idea or not, said Brad. I do, Zack said. Let's start with the money part, Dink said. Let's not worry about the government or the mint. Brad laid it all out for them. Whoever it was that made the money, they did that stuff first with the quarters. They made them collectible, made people want them. First they put out 50 quarters of the 50 states on them. Then they did presidents. Well, that was all right because nobody much counterfeited quarters. You want us to counterfeit money, Zach said. This is a good idea, said Brad. Quarters would be too hard, Zack said. We shouldn't be counterfeiting quarters. That would be stupid, Brad went on. The government, the mint, said Dink. Whatever. They were talking about doing the same thing with $20 bills now, Brad told them. First, they decided to put a woman on one. Then there was talk of putting all kinds of different people on them. And that was the scam. Dink and Zach looked at him don't you get it? No, one of them said. We can make bills and not have to worry about who we put on them. We can make $20 bill with like, I don't know, Richard Nixon on it. And if someone at the store looks at it funny, we say, oh yeah, that's this year's one. Haven't you seen it? Yeah, they put Nixon on it. Nobody is going to put Nixon on money, Zach said. Not even the government or the mint, said Dink. Well, okay, Brad said. That was just an example. We can put whoever we want on the bills and it doesn't matter. We wouldn't get detected because, like, right now, you hand somebody a $20 bill and they don't know to look for Thomas Jefferson's picture. It's not Jefferson, Dink said. It's Andrew Jackson. Well, that's my point. People know what face to look for, but they won't because they're going to keep changing them. That's really a pretty good idea, Zack said. Brad said, we wouldn't get in much trouble if we got caught. I think, Dink said, that we would get in just as much trouble no matter who was on the bill. And less chance of getting caught, Brad said, because people would think the bills are collectible, like the quarters, so they'll keep them instead of spending them. That's pretty brilliant, Zach said, looking at his phone now, tapping his finger on it, sliding it on the glass screen. We can make the bills up at Zach's work on one of those color copiers. Dink said, they have special paper they put the bills on. It has like fabric in it. "'We could make the bills out of bedsheets, then.' Seeing the look on Dink's face, knowing what was coming, "'white ones.' "'It doesn't work that way,' Dink said. "'Bedsheets are too soft.' "'We could starch them,' Brad said. "'John Wayne,' Zack said, eyes on his phone. Dink and Brad stopped, looked at him. "'We could do a John Wayne 20. Wouldn't that be great? And he deserves it, really.' "'You can't do that,' Dink said. "'John Wayne wasn't a president.' "'Neither was Harriet Tubman,' Zack said. "'She's supposed to be on the 20.' John Wayne wasn't that important, Dink said. He was only an actor. He was on a postage stamp. Zack held the phone up toward Dink. See? John Wayne wasn't a president. Didn't he play him in that one movie? Wait, Brad said. I got this. Brittany, Brittany Spears can't be on a 20, Dink said. No, no. Brittany, my ex. She works in that women's store where they sell sewing stuff. They have different kinds of cloth. I bet if we went there, we could find some fabric that was stiff enough to print money on. "'It couldn't be too thick,' Zack said, eyes on his phone. "'It would jam the copier. "'Hey, how about Millard Fillmore?' "'You can't put a comic strip on a $20 bill,' Brad said. "'Even I know that. "'Hey, what about we take the paper and glue the white bedsheet to the sides of it "'and print it that way?' "'Too thick,' Zack said. "'And the glue might stick to the fuser. "'It gets really hot. "'Might jam the machine. "'Then we'd really be in trouble.' "'Not like we're going to be in trouble for counterfeiting bills,' Dink said. "'How about William McKinley?' If actors can't be on money, then baseball players can't be on it either, said Brad. That's it, Dink's standing now, hands at the sides of his head, about to start pulling at his hair. Baseball players can be on money, Brad said. No, Dink said, reeling himself back in, trying to keep from yelling, not really doing a good job of it. I'm sick of you guys. He paced in an oval between Brad and Zack, Zack finally looking up from the screen of his phone. "'I'm sick of you guys not listening to me. "'I'm sick of you not thinking things through. "'I'm sick of living in this dump, and I'm sick of being broke.' "'We won't be broke when we start printing money,' Brad said, "'and we'll be able to afford a nicer place.' That is not going to work, Dink said, because it's stupid. There's too many other things on a $20 bill that keep you from counterfeiting them. There's too many other things that keep you from selling fake land deeds to retirees. They're smarter now. They look stuff up on the Internet. There's too many other things that keep people from giving money to starving African kids. It's like people out there have gotten smarter and you two haven't. And I've had it. I don't see you coming up with any ideas, said Brad. We can print the bills at my work after hours, Zack said. "'Tell you what,' Dink moving toward the door now. "'You guys can do whatever you want. "'Print up a bunch of bills with with Condoleezza Rice or somebody on them "'and pass them off. See how far you get with that. "'Me, I am out.' "'Moving to the door now, hand on the knob. "'I'm done with you guys forever. "'I know I've said that before, but I mean it now. I'm gone.' "'What will you do without us?' Sack said. "'Dink pulled open the door, face red, sputtering. "'Something extreme. I'm going to get a job.' He took two steps out the door, slammed it hard, and a picture of Miss February chewing gum to the wall came loose and fluttered to the floor. He'll be back, Zach said. All I know, Brad said, is if they don't let actors be on a $20 bill, they'll never let a rapper be on one.
0: (laughs) Oh, that was so funny. I loved that. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Trying to keep from sputtering (laughs) myself, you know, over the microphone.
1: I could have a laugh track.
0: John Wayne. (laughs) William McKinley. (laughs) Very funny. I really enjoyed that. So I notice you're wearing... A version of the book cover on your shirt with the shopping cart full of hundred dollar bills. Oh
1: yes, yes, I'm I'm in full merchandising mode. Um, I I wear this when I do uh, book signing events and author fairs and stuff, just to kind of turn myself into a walking billboard. Sure. And actually, I have a hat with with uh, Freeman's Devils on it too. And that's the newest one. That's that's the newest one. This is actually a reissue of uh, two novels I published with Bantam back in the day, but they uh, uh, I had given the book. The first half of the book to my agent because he said, "What are you working on?" And I said, "Well, here, here's the first half," and uh, I didn't hear anything for two years. And I thought, "Okay, well, he's busy and didn't like it or whatever." And one day he called me up at work and and said, uh, "What are you working on?" And I told him, and he said, "Well, I, I shelved that for now," and I'm like, "Why?" And he said, "Well, I think Bantam's going to want you to finish Vermin's Devils," and I'm huh. like, "Oh wow!" And he'd been having he'd been hawking it for two years which uh, my little bulldog of, a, of an agent. That's
0: great. That's yeah. really nice of him.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and then uh, he, he got me a, a bigger advance than I'd ever gotten, which I was thrilled about too. And then he said, yeah, you can write the second book while you're, they're publishing the first one. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. This, this is not two books. This is one long novel. And it's really important that the books stay together. And he said, well, Bantam will pay you for two books. And I said that's the amount you quoted me times two, and uh-huh. he said yes. And that's when I found out I had a spine made of jello because I said okay,
0: you had a price. I
1: had a price, and that was it. Yep. So uh, they published it as two books, and um, it's it's a satire. And of course, uh, satire is what closes on Saturday night, and, <laughs> and it closed on Saturday night. In fact, the first book they took out a print before the second book came out that's how miserably it sold Aww. but uh so i've i've, I've gotten the, all the rights back to all my novels and i've slowly been reissuing them and this is the last one and so i've done the author's intended restored version okay i noticed that i Direc- saw that on yeah. amazon the author's yeah, directors, intended director's cut kind of version. thing so okay. uh so there's a hat and i've got the little button here
0: i see your your pin yeah i, I didn't I, clean my
1: plate I didn't clean my plate uh one of the background details in this book is, uh, uh, if you're in a restaurant and you don't finish your meal, uh, the the waitstaff will come and take it, and they will take it back in the kitchen and hermetically seal it in a bag, and they will send it to starving children somewhere. <laughs> and then, so you, the person at the restaurant feels good about themselves, they give them this button so they can wear it to work, and oh, oh, you're a good person, you know. I guess nowadays they call that flexing, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I didn't then. clean my plate I and donated. didn't clean my plate. One, yeah, though. and a- actually uh, you, you were are asking about, you know, putting yourself in in uh-huh. books and that actually came from when I was in fourth grade. Uh, they did the whole starving children in China presentation right. to us. And I was in the lunchroom, and I saw all this food going away. And I actually drew up a diagram of how the bags could be sealed and fl- put in an airplane. And, <laughs> and I gave it to my teacher. And a couple of days later, I got called into the principal's office. And uh, I went, what did I do? And he was just saying, you know, this is really nice that you've done this. And, and we're, we're just really impressed. But you really need to work on getting the food to them before it gets <laughs> cooked Spoiled. and half eaten. Yeah. So I just took that to the most ridiculous extreme and and there we go so so well uh, so
0: you get credit for i didn't clean my
1: clothes. right so if that ever if that ever comes about um you, you know where it started yeah
0: <laughs> very good so um here's something i always like to ask everybody what do the words writer's block mean to you
1: ah oh boy I can hear the ice cracking under my feet um I've never really had writer's block. Um, That's what
0: they all say. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I got a really good work ethic from my dad and I made it when I decided I was going to be writing novels for a long time. I made a deal with myself that even if you don't feel like writing, you got to write at least one page or nowadays okay. just one sc- you know one screen worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually what happens is I, I don't want to do this, but I got to write one page and by the time I got that page done, I was on a roll, yeah, and so I, I just kept rolling and kept rolling. And some of the people I've met over the years—and here's the the cracking ice part—I um, I met some writers over the years that that have really bitterly complained about having writer's block, and I kind of realized that they were doing it for attention, which I thought was really odd oh. because we—I'd be at a science fiction convention or something and. And the guy would be, oh, I have a ten book deal, and I've written eight books, and now I'm stuck, and poor me, and and I'm like, boy, if I had a ten book deal, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> make sure you're finished. I, I, you finished. Know, yeah, I would darn sure be <laughs> have my fingers on the on the keyboard and and working it out. So uh, I suppose there are people that that really do get it, and I just don't. And I, I try to be nice to other people that, that say they experience it but uh, uh, I I've, I've never really had an, an issue with it so I'm, I'm glad to hear that most of the other authors you talked to don't have an issue with it either cause
0: yeah they don't seem to maybe um,
1: maybe that's like a, a construct like you know like back in the 30s all all writers had to be alcoholics you know they're really great full
0: of angst and oh
1: yeah yeah the Hemingways and the Steinbecks and uh, the you know, just name them. They were all drunk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. Okay. Um, so if folks want to purchase your books, how do they find them? Um, You know, how do they find out more about Joe Clifford Faust?
1: Easiest way to find my books is just go on Amazon. Uh, they're available for the Kindle. Uh, some of the books are available as audiobooks. And uh, the paper books are all published by Amazon's publishing arm. Which is really great because it's done on demand. So there's no books moldering in a warehouse somewhere. Right. When you order it, they'll print it up fresh. You know, so, so that's really good. Um, there are some other uh, ebook distributors. Like uh, Kobo that have some of my novels out mm-hmm. there, so um, Amazon is the the go-to place. Although I, the distribution deal, I think you should be able to special order them from uh, like uh, Books a Million in Canton or somewhere oh, like okay. that. I, I think they are, they become available. And to learn about me, um, I have a Facebook page that's Joe Clifford Faust. And then uh, I've got a a website that I really should start writing for again. I I blogged on it for years and years, Uh uh, especially when I was writing a novel called Drawing Down the Moon. I just blogged up a storm, and then I just kind of fell off of it for a while. And that's uh, joecliffordfowls.wordpress.com. And that's got links, and you can read excerpts from all the books. and. Cool and find out my grossly opinionated things about all things writing so that's that's where to go
0: now i think you have a great name so i i, oh, guess, thank I you. guess it would be rude to ask if that's your real name faust
1: actually it is uh, that was my dad's name it's german for fist And uh, Ah, so I assume that all of my ancestors back in Germany were short, swarthy little brawlers because (laughs) uh, one of the ways that you got a last name was your profession. (laughs) Right. And I don't know of any towns named Faust, so so I'm guessing that's what they did. Um, Yeah, uh, actually, when I was first starting out, um, I was experimenting writing short stories and stuff. And there was a boom in horror because this guy named Stephen King had, oh, who's had, that? <laughs> had a, you know Carrie and Salem's Lot and Firestarter, and all of a sudden, everyone was writing horror because mm-hmm. they, they were watching Stephen King take bags of money to the bank. Sure. And so they've sprung up all these little self-published zines of, of horror stories, and uh, and so I thought, oh, I'll try my hand at this. And it was, you know, the Stephen King formula, which is, oh, you have a toaster, and it just keeps toasting and toasting. It doesn't <laughs> stop. You know, so I tried a couple of those and was was getting them published. And so i sending them out to some of these different people, and, you know, they paid in copies. So, you know, there's no glamour there. But you got reviews sometimes, uh-huh. which, which was very helpful. And uh, I sent uh, – uh, one of my stories to someone once and she sent me a lengthy rejection letter explaining why no one would... I, I'd better change my name oh. because no one would ever take someone with the last name of Faust seriously as a writer of speculative fiction. Really? True story. True story.
0: And why was that? <laughs>
1: well, you know, in... in. Uh, uh, I don't know how far back it was. Uh, Goethe, I think, wrote uh, an, uh, a book called Faust that later right. became an opera about a guy that sold his soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. And so I think she thought I was just being too clever by half. Ah. And later I found out that this lady wrote under a pen name.
0: So she preferred pen names. and No, she no? said,
1: in fact, I would never buy a story from anyone that used a pen name. And I'm oh. like, well, I'm just in a double bind here because you don't like my name, but if I sent it under a pen name, you wouldn't like it either. But right. Yet she used a pen name. so. Hmm. But maybe that was to keep the crowd with the pitchforks and torches away who'd gotten <laughs> rejection slips from her. I, I don't know. <laughs> now,
0: you mentioned opera, which reminded me that one of your books, or maybe more than one, are about a space opera.
1: Oh, yeah. Space opera is a, is a genre. And it, it takes place in outer space, uh, you know, spaceships, planets, stuff like that. Um, I suppose you could say that Star Wars is, is a space opera. Uh, the Expanse, uh, I think, is a, is a space opera. Okay. Uh, it's, it's been turned into an Amazon series. Um, and this, uh, so this has spaceships in it, and eventually it has aliens in it and just, you know, traveling to and fro about the universe So I was taking adventures. that
0: literally that it's an opera, but it's a genre. It's a, yeah, it's, well, a, it's a genre. Well, you have taught me something. So yeah. like a soap opera, but a space opera?
1: Space opera, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think No that, music involved? No music <laughs> involved. Um, I, I think that probably comes from, you know, they used to call Westerns horse operas.
0: Oh yeah, see, okay, you just taught me something else.
1: So so I think it was like the, the overly dramatic, uh, high concept, high adventure, okay kind of thing yeah all right
0: makes sense cool uh also i've uh read online that uh you have some police stories where there are no gunshots
1: yes yes um only only fists uh actually or not even no there's there's not even uh not even a fist fight there's um so no blood and guts you took your teacher's advice i took my teacher's (laughs) advice no blood and guts um i uh right after i got married uh my wife and i returned to gillette wyoming and i got a job as a dispatcher with the county sheriff which was a great job except i after about four years i developed a nervous tick and i thought I'm getting an ulcer too, so I, I, I need to bail because part of what we did is answer the nine one one line. Sure. And maybe ten percent of the calls would be actual dire emergencies. Mm-hmm. And I have some great hilarious dark humored police stories and some really grim ones too. And uh all the guys at the sheriff's office were like, you know, they knew I was writing uh, uh, science fiction and they're like, they'd come in and put their feet up on the desk and go, so Joe, when are you going to write your great novel about life and love in the Campbell County Sheriff's Department? And I'd I'd go, never. As soon as I'm out of here I'm going to forget all of you guys. (laughs) And uh, actually that turned out not to be the case. Um, After after I left, um, I I, I told my wife, I said, I've got to get out of here because I've I've developed this tick and uh, I'm getting an ulcer, and and I love the job, but I just can't yeah, can can't do it, it anymore. And I said, you know, if I have to, I'll I'll go down to Godfather's and and get a job delivering pizza or, or something better. I've got to get out of here. And my wife said words I will never forget. She's like, well, why don't you try writing full time for a while and see how that works out? Ooh, and of course how I nice. bowed down and worshipped her feet and <laughs> and stuff like that. And. uh So as soon as I quit and and wrapped up A Death of Honor, I'm like, okay, time to do the next novel. And I started writing, and it was a police novel. And it was like all these stories I had wanted to come out. Ah. And so uh, the book is called The Mushroom Shift. And uh, actually, when when I have that book on display, that is my top title for people pulling off the book because they think that's such an intriguing title.
0: And it must be about mushrooms growing in the dark yeah that's that's the 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 reference yeah they're on the night it's it's a bunch of
1: guys are on the night shift and uh it's called the mushroom shift because they keep us in the dark and all they feed us is manure (laughs) so that's that's where the title comes from and uh it's a lot of it is stuff that that i saw or kind of extrapolated or or stories that, that i was told and uh I wanted it to be about daily police work so there's not a car chase, there's no gunshots. In fact I, I cut a scene because I thought this would be really funny and there's a, but I was like, No, no, there's a gunshot in it. So ah. so I cut that scene <laughs> and it's it's just about guys struggling with uh, you know, their marriages falling apart and drinking and and uh, things like that. It it's uh uh, kind of early Joseph Wambaugh, in, in a way, mm-hmm. because he, he had that, uh, him coming off of being a member of the LAPD, he had that sensibility of dark humor and stuff, and uh-huh. I think over the years, as, as he kept doing novel after novel and kept started doing more straight mysteries and, and thrillers and stuff, he, I think he kind of lost that edge, but uh, it was always my intention to have that be a trilogy of novels where the main character, you follow him through all three shifts of the day. Oh, but, that's a uh, good idea. nobody could figure out how to sell the book. No, nobody really wanted it. My agent was just like, eh. But I tell you what, all the cops that have read this book just love it. I, I have gotten emails from police officers, and they're just like, oh, man, you nailed this. Oh. Great job. And, and to me, that's what made it worth it. Yeah, that's is, really encouraging. Because and- really, at, at the end of the day, they they were my intended audience anyway. So, so, yeah, that's that's the story of the police novel with no car chase and no gunshots. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, I read one other thing that's going to intrigue me. Um, it said you like to eat chili. That's one of your hobbies is uh, oh yeah, eating chili. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I serve chili at our local author fairs. Ah. So, you know, that's why it caught my attention. You're on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have to see if it's homemade or not homemade this year. So Okay, yeah. Uh, you're going to be appearing at our local author fair Absolutely. here at the Massillon yep. Public Library in November. And yep. I hope Looking everybody will it. come down and meet Joe Clifford Faust. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank
1: you for having me. I've, I've had a great time.
0: Hey, everyone, this is Jeff, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the Lore of the Library Lady podcast. Join us for the local author book fair on Saturday, November 11th, 2023, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. This event is open to all and is held twice a year in both March and November. Browse, purchase books, meet, and network with local authors. Visit Massonlibrary.org for more information. Hope to see you there.